Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, 3M, and by DieHard. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Welcome, everyone, to MotorWeek podcast number 9-0, the Big 90. I am John Davis, and sitting around our MotorWeek uh, table here in Studio C at MotorWeek Central is our producer, writer, and two-wheeling reporter, Brian Robinson. Hello. Our road test producer, Ben Davis. Greetings. Writer, Patrick Lucas. Uh, hi, everybody. Okay, can you say that any softer, Patrick? And our assistant producer, Greg Carlos. All right, all right. Thank you, Greg. At least somebody heard you. Okay, let's speak up. We got a charged up show for you today. We're going to have our lightning round a little bit later on. And um, we're also going to dip into our mailbag for a general question that we've gotten from a lot of our viewers. But first, we've got four cars we want to cover, cars that we've recently had exposure to here at Motor Week. And we're going to start. With a really grand one, uh, how do you like that play on words? The BMW M6 Grand Coupe. Okay. Really delightful car. Take it away, guys. What? I'm going to take the negative on this one, so if anybody wants to go first with the positive. Spare me. Spare me. Yeah, I'm kind of getting burnt out on the M cars lately, but uh, as great a car as the M6 is, uh, I would much rather have the coupe over the Grand Coupe. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. They've already got a sedan. They've already got a coupe. Not... Explain the difference. A lot of people that aren't just... BMW aficionados don't really understand the difference between a Grand Coupe well, and a Coupe. Well, it makes two of us, but I think the Grand Coupe <laughs> just has the uh, – They squeeze two doors. It's four, it's four doors It's a four-door door. with a coupe-like style, which seems to be a very European thing. Yeah, it's, but it's like the the 6 series was like a coupe version of the right. 5 series Which and then they made it and then they made it back into a four-door yeah. they made the coupe back into a four-door but still want to call it a coupe and they're going to do the same thing with the new four series yeah exactly sure. i want to go on record and say that i like the look of the grand coupe better than the regular yeah. 6 mhm I, I think I it looks too. better. I think it's a better looking I think car. It looks a lot, I think it looks a lot better with four doors and still that coupe body style i think the regular 6 looks real chunky in the yeah exactly i agree I like them chunky. Driving. <laughs> what about the driving aspect? Any? It's got it's got plenty of power. I mean, it's an M car for sure. Um, it's just it overloads you with power. You'd be lucky if it lets you use it, though. I mean, it has a problem. It won't let. You, it's like it has a problem. It's like an overbearing mother where <laughs> you have all this power, but you can't really use it. Where. Say other cars. I want to be king of the world, but you yeah. won't let me. Mom. Other cars are more like uh, you know, if you have a drunk mom smoking cigarettes and go off and do what you want with all that power. You're going to get letters on you. <laughs> BMW is not like that. They make it impossible to do to activate the launch mode. And then everything is so computer controlled and you're so kind of, in my opinion, you're so far from the raw feel of mm. a car with that much power. It's just overdone. It's technology for technology's sake. So where much weight, too. They're getting away oh, from yeah. the experience of ultimate driving and making it just a computer-controlled it, nightmare. It's <laughs> it's really annoying when you you got to be so light with your throttle um, let yeah, on. I, I mean, found that one. Because That's if true. you do any sudden movements with your right foot, I mean, you're seeing that orange light start flashing. And that's that annoys me, personally. Um, but, yeah, it, it likes to spin the, the rear wheels. But... Um, I guess, I'll get back to the styling again. I love the way it looks. <laughs> one, of the, one of the problems I think that they're, they're boxed into, and, may, and they're not alone, I think other luxury brands are the same, is that 
These days, the luxury buyers got all the luxury they want. They want the sophistication. And they actually like knowing they've got all these bells and whistles along with plenty of power. And when they get them, every time you add them on, it sort of takes some of the character of the car away. And I don't know where the where the end result solution is. So I know around this table, when we get into something that's like a bare-bones sports car or hop into a Miata or something, you're thinking, wow, this is really fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah BMW it's, seems to be... Sucked in that hole more than other people, though. I mean, they, they are a technology yeah. company. Yeah. Usable horsepower versus. But it, it was a it, to me, it's a beautiful car, uh, and it was a pleasure to drive. But uh, uh, there are other M cars I'd probably opt for before this. What about an Audi S7? Would you take it over that, or would you take an Audi S7? Good question. That's a very good question, and I think I'd take an Audi S7 over it for the very simple reason well, the Audi feels lighter to me. It feels a little be, more uh, agile. Won't we be ca- comparing it to the RS7? RS7, RS7 yeah. Because yeah. I haven't driven yeah. that. Or, yeah. or Panamera for that reason. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's a tough call. When you get to that rarefied atmosphere, there are quite a few choices. Yeah, I mean, I'd give up 100 horsepower on the S7 just to have that interior over the yeah. M6's interior. The, the Audi sure. does have the interiors nailed. That's a good one. Although, if you put Good it up job. against Good the question. base Panamera, I'd, I'd probably take the base Panamera just because it's a Porsche. And moving on to Mercedes-Benz GLK 250 Blue Tech. Okay, we like the GLK, their smallest uh, crossover utility. Uh, when we tested it earlier, uh, now they've added an engine, but it's not just any old Blue Tech engine. The previous one didn't have an engine at all. Well, they've added a diesel engine. Oh, okay. Thank you, Brian. Tell us what's the difference about this blue tech from other blue techs we've tried. Oh, that's their all new 2.1 liter, which. How many uh, cylinders? What's that? How many cylinders? It's an I 4. Oh, okay. With dual every Give a t shirt. <laughs> Variable valve Versus timing. Versus a 6. Whole deal. Yeah. Uh, like 360 some, 69, 360 some pound feet. 369, yes. There you go. Pound feet of torque. Yeah. Yes. That's Amazing, good. really. Yeah, yeah. Smooth, too, for diesel. Um, when you drove it, what was your first sensation? You're talking to me personally? Yes. You personally. <laughs> We're kidding personal? Yeah. <laughs> um, are you talking about in reference to the engine? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it hops off the line, but unlike a lot of diesels, I mean, it didn't. It wasn't just like all torque off the line and then relax from there. I mean, it was. It drove almost like a gas engine, and that the power just uh, kept on coming. That's you know, cool. I think yeah. we got the best fuel economy. And even though it's diesel fuel and more expensive, I think we got the best fuel economy in that vehicle on our loop that we've ever gotten on a utility. Really? I'm pretty sure. Being that that's such a small uh, displacement diesel engine, is that a urea-injected system, or is it Yeah, Good question. I believe it is. Yeah, Yeah, I believe it is. I was a huge fan of it. I, to be honest, like Brian said, it drove like a gas engine. I... Well, honestly, didn't even think it was a diesel until I got around back and saw the the Blue Tech badge and all that. I mean, they, does it make a lot of noise? No, not at all. I there's mean, no there's no clatter. We've tried that engine since then. We actually, as we speak, have uh, the E class in with that engine, and I actually think it does clatter a little bit. It seems to be a little slightly noisier than the uh, um, GLK. I still, when I get into GLK, I, my biggest complaint about it, and it's really not a very big one, is I feel cramped. 
And I don't know. It just feels it's deceivingly it's, small. It is. It's, it's narrow. Small for the class. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Small All the numbers <laughs> indicate that it's smaller than everything else in the class, pretty much. And and they're going to do an A class. GLA. Yeah. yeah. So something. And I wonder if that's going to be really smaller. But since it's based on an entirely different chassis, I wonder if it'll be almost as roomy inside, but just smaller outside. I guess we'll find out. People that like small like premium upgrade premium interiors. Well, well. I look mean. at the the Buick Encores. They can, they can't keep up with the demand. But anyway, um, this new uh, GLK250, this new four-cylinder from Mercedes is one heck of an engine. And I think around the table we all would agree that yeah, it's very impressive. Coming in all-wheel drive standard and 500 bucks cheaper than the gas V6. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really sure why you would get the gas V6. I don't either, cause especially since if you use Mercedes logic and say that diesel fuel isn't, you know, it's priced similarly in most markets to premium, which you have to use in their engines anyway, it's kind of a wash on that aspect. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people still try and put regular gas in something that's supposed to use premium. But if you actually stick by the owner's manual, I think the Blue Tech's a better deal. Okay, um, moving on to another diesel. And this one was also got an interesting reaction from our staff when we had it in. This is the Chevrolet Cruze diesel. And, uh, Brian, what's the real distinction of Chevrolet putting a diesel in the cruise versus its competition? I don't know. It's, it's the only well, you domestic, wrote the road test. It's the only domestic uh, <laughs> diesel offering sedan, isn't it? And what does it directly compete against? The Jetta. There you go. Ding, the ding, 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 ding. And and that it, it's pretty remarkable given GM's checkered history with passenger car diesels. I wouldn't have thought it would GM would be the one to go you know go against Volkswagen on that one for sure. And overall, you know, they did a pretty darn good job. Dern, some new word. <laughs> they did a pretty darn good job. Um, it's quiet. It has good torque off the line. Uh, the car itself, we've liked. Uh, I wouldn't say it handles as well as the Jetta, but it's uh, very impressive. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. I thought it was a little bit loud, actually. Yeah, I, I, I was about outside to of the car, it's. Well, well, it was loud and, outside. And, you can, you can inside, right. inside, inside yeah. I think GM's getting pretty good with. They added uh, a ton of sound insulation. Yeah, they're, they're, they're getting the good Buick stuff. Throughout the GM line, they're just getting really, really quiet on the interior. So that wasn't a problem. But uh, outside, you're almost like, where's the truck? Because it, it makes uh, that much clatter. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's still well done. I mean, uh, it gets. I think it's better fuel economy than a Jetta, if I'm yes, correct. Yeah, highway. Yeah, only, yeah, only highway. The, highway yeah. the city and combined. But what? More less. gears. It, <laughs> Is it? Is it? I don't, I don't know. know. It's just a six. It's just a six. Yeah, it's a six but speed. at first look, if I put it next to a Jetta, uh, I'm, I'm going towards the Jetta. Yeah, it's just, just the looks don't do it for me. Yeah, I think if you're a if you're driver oriented, and everything else doesn't really matter, the Jetta is probably the car that around this table we'd prefer. But you know, if you want a domestic brand and you like, I think it's a cushier interior. In better the, ride quality. Cruise, better ride quality. I mean, the Jetta uh, handles better. The interior's a little nicer, but I think the Cruise has definitely got a better ride quality, too. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot saying for this. And I'm glad GM's doing it. I just hope it's not the only diesel car. Uh, how many do you think they're going to sell? Well, since we're asking personal questions, how many you know, do they, you know, <laughs> it's been brought up by everybody, including us. I mean, it's it's more expensive than the, the Cruise Eco, which basically it gets a little bit better fuel economy, but not a mountain. But, and it's got a lot of the Cruise Eco hardware on it, including the gr- grill shutters. So I think the car is there more to make a statement. And we have to remember that GM does sell diesels 
uh, cruises in other parts of the world, and it's basically the same car. So it really wasn't an expensive deal for them to bring it here. Hmm. But it's, uh, it makes a good statement. I'm glad they're making the statement. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe there's people out there. are a lot of diesel fans out there have been waiting for something like that. What it. do you so think, we'll Benny <laughs> I think a little a little piece of yours, a little piece of John's, and you he's got been my very quiet now. through this one. <laughs> Just the cruise, cruise diesel, yeah, I have been. Sorry, <laughs> proud to be an American. <laughs> <laughs> it's impressive that they did take on the venture. Um, although it's the same car, you're you're it's the same car that you can buy in in the European uh, nations and stuff that have diesels. Is it? Uh, I know there's a big thing with um, with uh, emissions and stuff. Right. Diesels over there, so. It's taken an emission standard to a new level where it's acceptable in the U.S. Actually, now? yeah, this is a clean diesel. And where a lot of the European diesel people have asked for years, why can't we get the European diesels here? And, and the answer was they don't meet the U.S. standards or their restrictions because of how much they polluted, how many they could bring in. That was what limited Volkswagen. But this is a clean diesel. I guess they can sell every one they make. Okay, moving on to another a uh, fuel economy of a different color and another American-made vehicle, the Honda Accord Hybrid. Now, to set the stage on this, if you remember the Accord Hybrid of uh, the mid-2000s, that was a V6-based car that didn't get particularly good fuel economy. It was very fast. This is a totally different vehicle. This uses uh, a new four-cylinder engine that turns a generator, much like the Chevrolet Volt does, and that generator produces power for an electric drive motor, which is what turns the wheels most of the time. Uh, Only at highway speeds is the gas engine actually coupled to the wheels. So, again, that's very Volt-like. It doesn't have a big battery, so you can only go a short distance in electric mode. Uh, Most of the time it operates in hybrid mode. And then, uh, then you have the gas engine by itself at under at higher speeds. But here's the big news: full, you know, a full size family car, mid size car, but let's face it, it's almost full size. Fifty miles per gallon in the city EPA rating, pretty amazing. And no gears. And no gears. <laughs> no transmission. <laughs> no transmission. They call it a one gear transmission, but basically it's a straight shaft. Now, they've had the plug-in hybrid available. In California yeah. and New York. Is this just that in a non-plug-in version? Or is it this is, a totally that different is basically oh, it. It's the same powertrain. It doesn't battery. have the battery. I think the um, plug-in version is about, what, 14, 15 miles? You can get go all electric. This is like a mile and a half, two miles. But it's $10,000 less. And, and yes, if, if you live in one of the states where you could buy the Accord plug-in hybrid, this looks like a step down, and basically what it is is it doesn't have the battery. Uh, it doesn't have the big battery. It's got a small lithium battery. But you can only go a mile to a mile and a half on an electric car. They're saying a few miles. I don't right. know what they actually, if anyone's tried, but judging from our Prius experiences, it'd be like one and a half, two miles, something like that. Whether that was a different type of battery, but a few miles. Uh, and you can't plug it in. It's the same kind of system, not the same system, but the same principle as like the C-Max, right? C-Max hybrid, two-stage kind mm. of. The C-Max hybrid. is more the Toyota no, system. What? No, this yeah. system? This is more the Volt system because there's no, the, the electric drive motor okay, drives yeah. the wheels almost all the time. Okay, I see. Where I'm trying to figure just, it out for myself. Yeah, mm-hmm. this doesn't, where the Prius and, and a typical hybrid has a transmission where the two different powertrains work together to drive the wheels right. through the same transmission. Okay, see, this, the mechanical engine, 
the four-cylinder gas engine has no direct connection to the drive wheels except at higher speeds. It's essentially just a generator. It's a Volt. For, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it, it's the same principle as the Volt. The only difference really that I can see from a layman's point of view, I'm sure there's lots of them, but from a layman's point of view, it just doesn't have a big battery, so you can't drive around a lot on pure electric. It's just so what was bit. it like to drive there, Benny? Uh, comparing it to a lot of hybrids that have come through our door lately, it's much more refined than them. Um, the one thing I've always hated about hybrids in the past is the regenerative braking feel, the feel of low-speed braking or even even braking at high like speeds. You're being speeds being artificially scrubbed off. Yeah, and it feels like you're stepping on a brick. Really, there's not a whole lot of travel or play or feel through a, a traditional pedal. But this feels just like the gas model to me. Uh, if you were to stick me in this car and not tell me, I'd probably have a hard time. Picking up on the fact that it is a hybrid because it, it does switch between modes pretty smoothly. There's no at low speeds. There's a little bit of uh, unique noises that rumble through there as you're switching. But on the highway, you can flip flop back and forth and not even tell. And mostly the braking to me is is pretty incredible. Uh, you give up a little bit of trunk space, but I mean for the MPG, it's worth it. Were those realistic? Uh, fuel efficiency numbers? Yeah, I mean, or? I was, you know, I don't like to drive slow, and, and uh, <laughs> I was driving like I normally would, and I pulled around in the 46 range. I, I did mix. Huge. Yeah, <laughs> for a car that big, I mean, you're talking Prius That's territory, and uh, it really yet is. You're, you're, you're basically larger and a car that everybody already is in love with. I mean, you know, it's one of the most popular cars in the country. Anything extra on the interior? Aside from Any your tweaks. Uh, I mean, you got a uh, you got some custom lighting in the yeah. in the gauges and your hybrid readouts and stuff like that. Uh, it's essentially the same car. I mean, it, it is well equipped, though, right? It comes like with the uh, blind spot de- detection and and yeah, you know, a lot of other things. And yeah, you, see, you got heated seats. You're not really you're not skimping on anything by going with the hybrid. I mean, it's I like that it's subtle. It doesn't really plaster hybrid logos on it, or the logos are relatively small. Um, it's got hybrid specific wheels. Uh, and a little lip spoiler, and the the blue accents in the grill. But other than that, you don't make the pretentious statement that a Prius would or, or something like that. You can be green and enjoy the benefits of high miles per gallon without kind of waving that freak flag. Big yeah, green yeah. Flag. big green flag. Well, it's safe to say this one will do much better than the last Accord hybrid, oh, yes. which no one really understood what the deal with that one was. And it also, I think, puts Honda back. Honda, after all, was a pioneer in hybrids, but then they let it slip away, and Toyota basically took that charge. This puts them back in the top of the game. I mean, you know, a car that so. big with a, with a city highway rating that high that apparently, you know, is, is obtainable, that's pretty big news. Hmm. So we'll see. Bold statement. Bold <laughs> statement. We're, we're all in for bold statements here. Yeah. Um, we're going to turn now to our lighting around, and we're going to stay on this um, theme uh, more or less of uh, batteries and how they're changing cars. Today's lightning round actually comes from a viewer, Martin, who uh, wrote us about the differences in EV uh, between electric vehicles and plug-in electric vehicles and their battery life in warm and cold weather. He says his Chevrolet Volt battery range can vary almost 10 miles above or below the indicated range depending on the weather. 
He brings up the points that manufacturers like the hype, the maximum ranges, and capabilities of these types of cars, but rarely warn buyers about real-world conditions, scenarios, what they, and what their results may vary. What are our personal experiences on this issue with uh, EVs, essentially, uh, and how can manufacturers and journalists address this? Okay. Your mileage may vary. That sums it up. Right? <laughs> yeah. There's only so much time in a minute or 30-second spot. They're not going to go through the whole ramp. Well, they can't. Right. They're, they're, they're legally bound to tell you what the EPA mileage estimates and numbers are, and they can't do a whole lot more than that. So there is some restrictions when it comes to advertising. Uh, our press material can usually tell you a little bit more, but the advertising controlled. Yeah, and you know, cold weather definitely takes a, a big impact on hybrids. Uh, we've noticed that even electric cars that we've had in here getting not even close to the numbers. I think that's going back to the hybrid versus diesel argument. Uh, I mean, pretty much whatever hybrid we have in here, we never seem to be to get to match the numbers, EPA numbers. Uh, we're regularly below them, whereas diesels. Uh, we always match them, if not exceed, exceed the numbers them. you're supposed to get. And plus the diesel numbers are consistent all year or around. So, The electric car situation is complicated by temperature. There's no question about it. Um, the early, the early uh, Leafs, who used just simply a air-cooled system for their batteries, they had severe problems uh, in especially cold weather, and they had some problems in hot weather with the batteries not holding up and st- giving decreasing in their ability to in their range very rapidly. Uh, the GM Volt, uh, Chevrolet Volt, it's got a, a fluid system, and some of the newer cars after that have got a fluid control system, and I think you can get uh, a, uh, a heater now on the. I think all the Leafs come with a heater now to help them in cold weather, but batteries basically. Don't like extremes. And not to mention, if it's cold, you're going to have the heat cranked, which is draining your battery life as well. So. Right. So the answer to this is uh, that there is no answer until the battery capacity gets higher. I mean, that's one of the attractions I think that Tesla is seeing with their Model S is they actually have large enough batteries that they can talk about a 200 to 300-mile range, but even in cold weather – it still has enough to get people probably back and forth to work, you know, during a week. So um, our answer to you, Martin, is um, you've got to take the mileage numbers on these batteries uh, with a grain of salt and recognize that you're probably going to get about 20% less than what it's even saying on the instrument panel on any day. And that's kind of, I don't know about you guys, but when I get into an electric car here, if it says I've got 80 miles, I figure around 50, 60, I'm going to start well, worrying. We just got the uh, the Spark EV in, mm-hmm. and that has that little confidence gauge, and that actually gives you kind of what exactly what you're talking about, and it's probably no coincidence, but like it gives you the range, and then it gives you like five miles above it and five miles below it, and then it kind of tailors to your actual driving. And so it kind of does that guesswork for you. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, my, my thought is just that if you're going out and spending twenty, twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 on a car, which most of these PHEVs and electric vehicles cost, I mean, you should probably do the research on it. If right. you're going to drop that kind of money, you should probably do the research and know what you're getting into. There's plenty of people that have tested these vehicles exhaustively on the Internet exactly. to see how far you can go under different conditions. 
the internet's out there. It's got it full of information. And it's all, or you can, it's all true, of course. <laughs> or you can tune into Motor Week and find no, out. I did yeah. notice the, the Spark was very nice because it does have your expected range. Right. Then it's got a what you could possibly do if you drive mm-hmm. like ultra conservative and turn exactly, everything off. Yeah. And then it's got you know the range you have if you drive like crazy and have all your electronics on. It gives you a lot more information than the others seem to. It's nice. And you've really hit. Another major thing, it's it's like it still depends on how you use your right foot. And it, it even asked me, I got down to 20 miles of range on it, and a little thing popped up on the nav screen. And, you know, your battery is running low. Would you like to turn off the radio right now? You know, like that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> nice. so nanny, nanny, nanny. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. Let's move on now to uh, thank you. <laughs> All right. And, and when my ear stops ringing. <laughs> Anyway, let's extend this conversation and actually go back to to what you were talking about, Brian, at the beginning. Did I get ahead of things? Uh, Not really. You touched on it. We get a lot. We still, even though the the government has taken the the official mileage ratings and constantly reduced them mathematically to make them more realistic – we still hear people most of the time can't get the numbers. Well, I know around our shop we tend to be able to get the uh, combined number uh, more times than not, and that's why we feature that on our test now. But the highway number seems to be out of reach. And just recently there's been sort of an expose going on on how the automakers often, since they do actually most of the testing themselves, are getting maybe a little bit better numbers they, than they should be because their drivers are very, very good. And so they not only are designing cars to get better fuel economy, but they have drivers that are trained to get really good fuel economy. So the question comes back, what is a consumer to do? What, what is there? Should they look at one number? you got three numbers, city, highway, combined. Is the combined really the answer, or are they even going to get disappointed there? Where are we going with this? What type of driving do you do? I mean, you should really base your numbers off of that. I mean, if you've got heavy highway numbers, then that's, you know, that's what you're looking for. But if, if you're always in the city, then, I mean, you can't complain that you're not getting the combined rating yeah. because the combined rating is highway and well, city, a good mix. So, um, But yeah. I, I frequently hear from people there saying, you know, I'm getting in the teens when it's supposed to be 25 or 26. And then, of course, if you go watch them drive, you can figure yeah. out. Slow why. down and take yeah, all the exactly. stuff out of your trunk. You know, <laughs> no, the, you even the combined rating is, what, like 55, 60-something like percent right. highway? Oh, yeah. It's more yeah, biased like, towards highway. It's more biased towards, I think. Yeah. Another good thing to do would be to take those flags off your car uh, in support of your team. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's sacrilege I mean, I, around I, here. I can see one, maybe two flags supporting your local football or baseball team, but maybe the fourth one, third or fourth <laughs> one should be taken off. You can't really go by any numbers. I mean, I hate to say it, but I don't trust any numbers. You can go on. Uh, they're they're good. They're good for a, there is this gold in unless the it's on the internet. Let me clarify. Yeah, they're good for a comparison if you're shopping. Well, not even that. Because, well, I'm saying if you're looking yeah. at two or three or four different cars together, at least it gives you an idea of where they stand. If you go on like the fueleconomy.gov website, not meaning to make a plug there, but <laughs> they have when you look up the numbers and compare them, you can click on. There's a tab there like what people are. Oh, getting. it's my fuel economy yeah. or whatever. Absolutely. And people that own cars, they put in what they're actually getting and. You you can see some cars that are actually pretty close, some are not. But granted, people taking the time to do that are probably people that are getting good mileage and proud of it. So I don't know. Probably can't trust those numbers either. On our mileage, <laughs> on our mileage, <laughs> 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 sorry. Most of our staff 
does mileage loops on test cars, and we take off for a weekend. And some better than others. Yeah, some better than others. But generally speaking, I don't think anybody really changes your driving habits for those, right? I mean, I here, know. You know, we yeah. do them all the time. That's so we the point of the test, right? Right. right. <laughs> Real and, world. And, and most of the time, most of the time, we're around the combined number. Yeah, either just above or just below it. Yeah. And, and that's why we changed our road test this year to start featuring the combined number and make the city and highway numbers smaller. So, uh, although I do agree with what you said earlier on that Sweet. the... the uh, Can't trust the, anything. The, the, no. <laughs> no. Happens Don't once put words in my mouth. I do a bad enough job of that. Um, you mentioned that diesels, we tend to, to do better than the combined more, more yeah. than gas. And I think that's true. Okay, I think that pretty much beats the heck out of that subject. And we've used up all of our time for this week's podcast on Motor Week. I want to thank our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, and our podcast producer this week, our own Patrick Lucas, great sitting guy. here at the table. I want to th- <laughs> He is a great guy. Thanks, Brian Robinson. Thanks, Ben Davis. Thanks, Greg. And thanks, Patrick. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to watch Motor Week on your local public television station. And if you can't find it, go on to our website at motorweek.org and find out out the day and time. And if you still can't find it, call the public television station and ask, where is Motor Week? You can also catch us every week on the cable channel Velocity. Till next time, I'm John Davis. Thanks for um, all of us here at Motor Week. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, 3M, and by DieHard. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.